0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Can I make a confession to you? It's Easter? Nobody said yes, so never mind. I'm like no, I'm going to judge you. <laughs> I have a um uh, I, I really really enjoy scare videos. Uh when when other people are afraid it just it just makes me laugh, laugh uncontrollably. Some people like videos of dogs and kittens. Some people like videos of, uh, of, of people tripping. I love when people get scared. It's just something about it. When we're watching America's uh, family videos, you know, uh, funny videos, my family and I, if they do one of those scare montages, I will start crying. I'm wheezing. We got to stop it so that I can, I can breathe again. There's just something about it. I don't necessarily like to be scared. I like other people to be scared scared. Anybody else like that? Anybody like those videos? Okay. It's just a few of us demented people. And so these trends, there's been trends in these videos, right? Used to be there was just air horns. Somebody would come around the corner with an air horn, but that's amateur. And then they started like putting a, like tying a snake to somebody's, you know, clipping a snake to their jacket or something and, and saying there was a snake and they would take off running. And that was funny because the snake would chase them, you know? So that was great. Well, here recently, a new uh, trend, uh, a new approach to this has popped up. It's called the invisible threat prank, the invisible threat prank. And I am telling you, they are so enjoyable. Here's how this works. What you do is you record yourself around a family member, a spouse, a child, something like that. But then you pretend that you are scared of something like like a a mouse or, or a spider and you react to it and film their reaction to your reaction about nothing that is even there. It's really funny. Here's a few of them, y'all watch this. So no matter how many times I watch that, it is so funny. The last one, that's his mom. And uh, he—and he's a big dude, right? He keeps yelling, Mom, what's in there? Unlock the door. What's in there? It's so funny. It's so funny. Y'all got to, it's invisible threat prank. I love that. And uh, trying to make something silly into something serious, right? Because that's why we're here. We can often feel like, whether we're in the videos or not, we can feel like we live our lives running from invisible threats. We can feel like we are spinning our wheels and just trying to get away from something or to achieve something. We, we, may, we may burn up so much energy trying to, to uh, escape fear, like the fear of rejection, right? Somebody gets close to you and you bail, you run. We're afraid of failure. Something happened in adolescence, some sort of experience where we just cannot handle failure and so we don't even try. We're afraid of isolation. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of not knowing what to do. We're afraid of disappointing people that we love. A lot of times we're running from the idea that um, we are insecure about our own abilities or our own skills. Like that video we watched a moment ago about the emptiness that we find in finances or in relationships. You can be surrounded by people at a party and you can still feel so empty. And so we run from it. We take off and we run and we hide from the fear of things that are going to happen or may not happen, the invisible thread. The story that we're going to look at today in John chapter 20 is similar, not in people being afraid or, or even people scaring other people, but there's a lot of running. There's a lot of running in this story and it really makes you stop and ask the questions, why are they running and where are they running towards? The answers to those questions really, really stop us in our tracks and it makes you ask the very same question of yourself. And this is the question I'm going to ultimately ask you to answer in your own heart, in your own mind, Why are you running? And who are you running toward? Let's pray together and then we will take a look at John chapter 20. God, thank you for all that you have blessed us with. We're so thankful to gather together as a church in three locations to celebrate you, to, to make much of who you are and what you have done. God, we are humbled, we're excited We know that you are a great God, and God, today, I pray that for those who have come into our gatherings, feeling constantly on edge, constantly spinning, never stopping, never able to rest, never able to sit, God, I pray that today they would find rest from their running, and they would find that by running to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray together, amen. So John chapter 20, this isn't going to be on any of the screens Read with me in your Bible there, or if you do not have a Bible or you don't have an application to look at, just sit back, listen to the story. See it in your minds, hear it. See if you can visualize what's happening. This is John chapter 20, verse one. And on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, she saw the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Verse three, at that, Peter and the other disciple went out headed towards the tomb and the two two of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and he got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was now lying was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But, verse 11, but Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. She's overcome with emotion, she's crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away the Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. This story, especially in verse one, really kind of uh, is a pinnacle. It's a turning point in the history of humanity, and the history of Jesus, Christian story. It's the sort of story that we could easily gloss over or just advance to the next part of the action between the death and his resurrection and his revelation of his resurrection. But this story really captured my attention this week because of all of the running, because of all the ways in which the people react. I thought verse 1 would be really good for us to look at just for a second because here at 2nd, we've been walking through the Gospel of John. We've spent months in it. We're going to spend weeks in it. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. And what we can do this morning, just real briefly, is look at verse 1, and it sort of catches everybody up. So maybe you haven't been with us for the last couple of months, and that's cool. We're glad that you're here today. Let me just begin by catching us all up on the story and, and the story of Jesus and what's going on in the Gospel of John. It says there in verse one, let me read it to you again. It says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running. On the first day, it's interesting for John to include that, the author of this gospel. It's interesting because for us, the first day Sunday means a lot. It's a big deal, right? It's the day of worship, it's church day. For a good portion of the year, it's NFL football day. It's a a day that matters to us. Sunday matters. It's the first day. But for them, religiously, it was Saturday. Saturday was what we would consider to be the religious day. And so John's emphasis now has shifted from the day that they had worship to this new day. Something new is about to happen. John is telling you, he's keying you in. He's letting you know, hey, pay attention to this. Something new the first day, the first day of the week, the first day of everything is about to happen. The key character in this moment is Mary, Mary Magdalene. Now, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus, not one of the other Marys. This is Mary Magdalene, who is a friend of Jesus. She was healed by Jesus. She followed Jesus and she learned from him. She learned at his feet. He was a rabbi, he was a teacher, he was the Messiah, and she learned from him. Many scholars believe that she was well off, she was wealthy and she financed a lot of the ministry that Jesus did, she was totally bought in. And while that may not sound all that unusual to you or to I, it is really a crazy detail to include in here. In the first century, women were not considered to be equal. They were second-class citizens. They weren't allowed to have land to provide for themselves outside of their homes. They were completely dependent on their fathers and then on their husbands. No story, no true legitimate story would have featured a female being the the first of the witnesses, the first to declare the message, the first to go back and and to preach and to evangelize. It would have questioned the story on its face, and yet it validates the idea that the Jesus story, the the, the Christian message, leveled the playing field. Just in these two details, John is trying to scream through his story, something new is happening. We don't know yet really all the details, If you're just kind of following along in the story. You're like, we know that Jesus died, but now something new is gonna happen. But then notice the very next Key word there, she went to the tomb. She's not going to a baby shower, it's not a a wedding, the typical sort of festivities that would make you think of something new. She's going to a tomb, a graveyard, a graveside. Universally, this is the idea of finality, end, pain, suffering. It's not the idea of something good and something new. And yet John is making us feel the contradiction. Something new is happening And yet it's going to happen through death? Something new, brand new, leveling the playing field for all of the people is going to happen through death. The very next idea is that she saw that the stone had been removed. It would take take a Good group of people, a large group of people to put that stone in its place, drop it down into the, the little hewn area in which it would fall into, much harder to pull it out of there than it was to put it in there. This is miraculous. She couldn't have done it. It was a miraculous event. The stone had been removed. Just from those details, we know that Mary had just witnessed the death, the murder, the torture of her good friend just a few days ago. She goes to the tomb, death, finality, pain. On the first day, she witnesses something miraculous is happening. John, from the very beginning of this Easter story is telling us God is about to do something new, brand new. And when he does it, he's gonna include all those people who are second class. Everybody who is pushed outside, everybody who is thought of as less, Everybody with baggage and pain and hurts and challenges, it's going to include all of them, and it will come through death and it will be miraculous. This is huge. This is a lot of weight to carry. This is a lot to be confronted with. This is a lot to see first thing in the morning. And so she does what a lot of us would do she ran. She took off running. Now, sociologists, psychologists still tell us that we have a, a couple of reactions to fear. What is it? There's Fight, flights, or freeze. I'm curious who's in the room this morning. How many of you are fighters? How many of you are fighters? All right. Okay. Not many of us. How many of you are freezers? Okay. And so the rest of us are runners? (laughs) Man, that that could get really bad if we're all trying to run. She's a runner. All right. So she's with us. Something confronts her early in the morning and she takes off running. Now, listen, I'm not knocking on Mary. I can't knock on Mary. I'm a runner. You're a runner. Most of you are runners. We're not, we're not saying that she's weak or she's the lesser vessel. We're not saying that this is just what she did because she's a she. She did that because she's human. This is the way when we are faced with something, it really just makes me ask the question, then why did she run? Why did she run? Think about it this way. The other day, uh, Pastor David and I were talking about this text and other things. We were talking about how I like to listen to podcasts if and when I do go for a run, right? That kind of thing. I like to do it. And I said, you know, the Apple watch is, it's not really all that convenient because I have to download it and all this sort of stuff. And he was talking about how he listens to podcasts while he's mowing the yard and and stuff. And I said, yeah, but by the time you get it on your watch and you get to AirPods and all that kind of stuff, then, you know, I can't just take off running. You know, I just want to go i just take off running. And, and he looked at me with the most serious face and he goes, Josh, I never just take off running. He's, he's not gonna run anywhere, right? He doesn't like to run. Any of you like that? You just don't like to run? Nobody? Yeah. I've had so many people since the last service tell me that if I'm running, something's chasing me. All right? It's not just for health. There is a planning to run. That's what I would do to, to be fit or whatever. But all of the situations in here, none of them have planned to run. Every person in this story that runs, they're running as a reaction. They're just faced with something and they take off. So why did she run? I think it's pretty obvious why she ran. In verse three, when she runs back to the disciples, she sees Peter, she tells him that it's empty. And she says, the tombs, they they took the Lord and I don't know where they took him. I think she ran because the fear of the unknown. In verse 11 through 13, when she sees those two angels and the angels ask her, why are you crying? This is a good day. This is a great thing. This is what all of creation had grown for. This is the best, the pinnacle of human history. Why are you crying? And she says, because I don't know where they took him. See, she didn't know. She had this fear of the unknown. So she took off running. She didn't know how to face what's in front of her. She didn't know how to react to what's in front of her. Listen, don't miss this. Just a few days ago, she saw one of her very best friends, her rabbi, her mentor, her teacher, her spiritual advisor, crucified on a cross and stuck in that grave. And now he's gone. She doesn't even know what's about to happen. You don't get healed by somebody and then expect just in a few years, they're gonna be killed by the Romans. She's filled with disappointment. She's filled with all of the plans that she had made have crumbled underneath her. It's like holding sand in your hand. She does not know what's about to happen. Has anybody ever felt that way? You ever look up and things change? Unexpectedly, you have to bury your child before you go. Your marriage falls apart. Your career ends because of COVID or or layoffs or something like this. You look and everything you had planned just crumbles. And you have no idea what you're about to do. It's like everything you can do to just move one foot in front of the other to get home and to inform your family. I just lost my job or grandpa died. Everything just falls apart. And so she ran. And I know that maybe you don't physically take off running, but your heart leaves. You're gone in your mind, you're somewhere else. You're looking for any escape. You run towards this, you run towards that. You run away from the pain. That's what she does. That's what she does. That's what we do. But she's not the only person in the story to run. And that's good news. We need somebody else in this story to run to give us hope to give us healing. Look at verse 3-4, and so she went running to Simon Peter, and that Peter, at that, the news that it was empty, Peter and the other disciple, that's John in the whole book, he never refers to himself as John, he just always calls himself the other disciple that the Lord loved. All right, he's not arrogant or anything, he just really liked that part. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out headed for the tomb, and the two of them were running. They took off running. Now, Here's something I like to point out as we are studying through John. I really love John. It's a great, great book. But one of the things that has become really apparent in our study is that John and Peter have a really interesting relationship. John likes to mess with Peter, okay? I know these are are like, this is Saint John and Saint Peter, and so we don't really think of them with personalities, but, but he really does. There's a number of times that we've discovered as a church walking through this that John is messing with Peter. Throughout this gospel as he's writing it, One of the most famous illustrations is when, uh, y'all remember the story of Jesus walking on the water? Y'all remember that? Jesus comes in, it's at night, he's walking on the water, there's a storm, the disciples are are scared, they're yelling and all this kind of stuff, they're fearful, and, and Jesus says, calm down, it's me. Listen, it's me, it's fine, calm down. And they're all like, okay, now you're a ghost. We're not real sure, it's talking to us. Peter says, if it's you, let me get out of the boat. I'll get out of the boat and I'll come to you, if it really is you, Jesus. Jesus says, come on. He gets out of the boat, he walks a few steps, he starts to fall, Jesus saves him. The only mere mortal in human history to walk on water. John doesn't even mention it. He doesn't even say it. He tells the story, but he's not gonna mention Peter. I think that's just a little bit to get at, Peter. And then in this story, twice, John points out, we both went running and I beat him. I beat him twice. Could you imagine John's scroll traveling throughout the churches and Peter's reading this and like, he is not about, to, he did say it. He said it twice, you know, that sort of, this is gonna be forever, John, you know, that kind of thing. He's messing with him. In fact, the gospel of John ends with Jesus getting on to Peter for asking a question about John that Jesus says ain't none of his business. That's how John and Peter love one another. So they've got this like brotherly messing with each other sort of relationship. And so it makes, you can see it You can see it when Mary busts into that room, like you saw in the video, says, Peter, it's empty. Those two don't even plan it. They just get up and run, turn it into a foot race, but they end up running. So the question then is, why do they run? There's not, you don't run toward fear and there was nothing scary happening in the room. Why did they run? I think they ran toward hope. She ran away from fear, they ran Toward hope. It's been a couple of days since Jesus had been killed. And so I can't imagine that they would have said to one another uh, where they were, what they were feeling. They would have replayed the story over and over and over, made plans to go out to the tomb. And some of them would have mentioned a couple of times that Jesus said those things. You remember when Jesus said this or when he said that? And it sounded like, right, like it sounded like he said he was going like to come back one of them would say, ah, I mean, maybe, but I don't know. Just talking to the night, just a little bit of hope, just a little bit of hope. And so when Mary busts in the room, and they, she says, it's empty. They know that the body's not stolen. If anybody would have stole the body, it was those two. They didn't steal the body. So welling up within their hearts is this idea of, maybe he's back. And so they just haul off running. In John chapter two, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Maybe that's what's beating through their hearts. Maybe in their lungs is John 16 when he says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Jesus beats death. Their hope is realized. All of the things that we spend our lives running from, all of the things that we spend our lives hiding from, the scary things that we cannot see or put our hands on, the things that keep us up at night, Jesus beat all of that. Hope is realized. In verse eight, it says, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, that's his second mention there, then also went in and saw and believed. What an encouraging note for you and me. Uh, Throughout all of the gospels, the people believed when they saw Jesus. They'd heard the stories, but when they see Jesus, they believe. John is the only one who hasn't yet seen Jesus and he believes every bit of it. There's an empty tomb, he was right. So it's like Bailey said earlier, because the tomb was empty, what Jesus said was right. It is true, Jesus has resurrected. And so the encouragement is that we can believe in the same way. You know, there's another story in the gospel messages. There's another story that Jesus tells about or at least it features some running. The story goes that there was a guy and he was grown, but he told his father that, uh, you know, essentially I just wish you were dead. I don't like your rules. I don't like the way that you run things. Think I could do better. I think I could do better with my life. And so dad, give me half of the inheritance. Give me what you would have given me if you were already dead and I'll go out and live my own life my own way." And so he does, he wastes all of it. He wastes his life, he wastes his money, he wastes his potential, he wastes his energies, he wastes his upbringing, he wastes all of that. The morals and the ethics that he was given, he wastes all of that, just spends it on nothing. In one moment, he wakes up wrestling with that pain and that rejection and the reality that it is better to follow the Father And he thinks to himself, my dad was pretty good to our employees and to the servants. If I go back, I know he won't accept me as a son. I mean, I said, I wish he was dead. But maybe he'll treat me like, like a servant. Maybe he will accept me. Maybe he'll let me hang around just enough. It's the only place I know to go. And so he starts to go back and to hear it the way that Jesus tells it, It's just as soon as that boy crosses that horizon, that dad got up and he ran. He ran at him. He ran to him, threw his arms around him and accepted him. Not as a servant, not as an employee, but a son who had come home. And that's the hope. That's the the good news for you. That's the encouragement for you and for all of us. Listen, we all come to Jesus with the same thing that Mary came with. Baggage and pain and hurt and disappointment, sometimes disappointment in Jesus. This isn't the way I planned it. We come to Jesus that way. We all come to Jesus like that boy that came back to his father, full of mistakes. But unlike all the other things that you go running toward, like position and privilege and power and prestige, God is the only one that comes running back at you to accept you, to love you, to bring you back in. So run to Jesus. If you haven't done that, you can do that today. If you haven't ever prayed that sort of prayer, you can pray that right now. As Jackie mentioned earlier, those little cards, I want you to fill those out. After the service, if you go through these doors, if you're over in the overflow, you can come back over here to the sanctuary, you go through these doors, turn to the right, there's a room there with people who would love to pray with you, encourage you, help you run toward Jesus. So let me ask you these questions as we wrap up. Let me ask you these two questions. You can think about them this week. The first question is this, why are you running? What are you running from? Why are you running? You're spinning your wheels. Some of them, it's it's pretty easy. You won't admit it to your boys. You won't admit it to your spouse, but it's like you've got this pain that comes from the way you were raised. You've got this pain that comes from some past relationship. You've got this fear of what you might not become. Why are you running? Some of us are not running from anything. You just feel like you're, you know, as the great poet said, you're in a hurry and don't know why. You're in a hurry to get things done, oh, I. Rush and rush until life's no fun. That's just the way. We just are raised this way. We just live our lives in a way that's just like always running always going somewhere, nowhere, for no reason, towards no goal, to accomplish nothing. Why are you running? And then the second question is, who are you running toward? Peter, John, and Mary end up running back to the tomb. They didn't know it at the time, but they were running toward Jesus. And they would see and they would believe. The hope would be realized. And that is the only way it is realized. Running away from rejection doesn't get you acceptance, but running to Jesus does. Running away from failure doesn't get you purpose or success, but running to Jesus does. Running away from pain doesn't get you healing, but running to Jesus does. A few weeks ago, my son, this is my youngest son, he had a 5K at his school. And uh, he had been training for it for for a long time. He had, um, for like a year, Every couple days, he would run after school, him and his little buddy in the running club. They wanted to run a 5K three miles. And so we were excited. We uh, supported that as the, as the race got closer, he asked me if I would run the race with him. That's what he said. You want to run the 5K with other parents, or do, other dads are doing it, which is like, well, I mean, I guess I got to at that point, you know? And in a, in a couple years ago, when I was really into running, when I would get my podcast all synced up, I could run 13 to 15 miles at one time. And I would do that a couple times a week. But that was a couple years ago, all right? But still in my mind, it's just a 5K, it's just three miles. That's not, that's not that bad. All right, yeah, I'll run it. I thought to myself, a couple of things. One was encouragement. I didn't want my boy out there like giving up. I wanted to run next to him, he's, he's not that fast. So I wanted to run next to him and be like, be like, you can do it, keep going. I thought I would just trot and come on. No, don't give up. Come on, let's do this. That's what I thought. Also, I knew that the race was going to be off campus, away from his school. And I didn't like that. You know, I I wanted to make sure he was protected from from stray dogs and from motorists and from stranger danger. And so I was going to run next to him. I was proud. I was going to protect him. You can do it and let's run. The day of the race approached. It was that day, that morning. I was off work that day. And we go out there and... There's people everywhere, everywhere, hundreds of them. Moms and dads all lined up along the race route with picture, are ready to take a picture. And then they, they brought the little racers out. They all stood up there in this big old gaggle of joy and, and energy, you know, just vibrating. And then all of us, other parents, were standing here. We're like, okay, is this where we stand? Do you, do you see your kid? You know, that kind of weird. We don't know what we're doing, nothing. Nobody knows what anybody's doing. It was organized the way that you would expect a... Uh, an elementary school organization to go. (laughs) Just felt like I should. And so all of a sudden, out of the blue, with no sort of warning, somebody comes over the speaker and yells, go! And all of those kids lit out of there, full sprint. Nobody was pacing. They're not even breathing hard. They just ran as fast as they could. Us parents are in a, we're flat-footed standing there. We don't even see them. One guy that was standing next to me has a full Coca-Cola and he goes. (laughs) And then he just ran, you know? And so we're all in this pit of kids and knees and big heads and and we're running and we're looking. And One guy yells, you see my kid? I said, bro, I don't even know you, you know? We're looking and I mean, they all look the same. And so we're all looking. So I finally get up to Amos and we're a hundred yards or so into this race. And I was dying. I couldn't breathe, dry mouth, something right here died. And they're just full on sprint. I finally come up to him and I look at him and he looks over at me and you know what he said to me? He says, oh, forgot you were here. (laughs) He's not even sweating just trotting along. I was like, I know, I know. Hey, hey, let's slow down. We need to pace ourselves. We need to pace ourselves. Nothing. There's no slow down in the kid. The race kept going and there was this part where it wide off in two different directions. I'd seen it on the map that the teachers sent home. They were going to go like this and come back and join the crowd and come back this way. So I decided, you keep going. You keep going and I'll go off this way and I'll catch you on the back end like that, right? I was just going to run and meet him halfway. He met me here, you know? And I look up the corner and he's like fourth place. He's still running. He never stopped. He just kept going. I was so proud of him, right? And he comes up to me. I'm like, how you doing? Thinking I'm going to encourage him. And he just passed me. <laughs> just, he just kept going. At one point, one of the teenagers that was brought over from the high school was there to sheepdog all the kids, you know, this sort of stuff and help them. They didn't need me at all. He walks past me or he, he, he kind of trots past me and he says, how you doing, Pastor Josh? I said, I'm about to die, Max. I'm about to die, you know? And he just kept going, kept going off that way. Amos did great. He like placed in his little division. Wish I could have seen it, but it looked really cool. (laughs) It's really neat, really neat. They were cleaning up. They're picking up trash by the time I got got back to the car. (laughs) Really hard. You know what the biggest difference between Amos and I was besides a dad bod? Is that he had a, he had a goal for over a year, he was running for that 5K. That was what was in his mind. And when it came race day, nothing was gonna slow him down. He had somewhere to go. Me, I was just running. I didn't care. There was no goal. I didn't have any reason. There's nothing attached to this for me. Huge difference. And listen, that's what I'm challenging you to do today. That's what I'm challenging you to think about. Why are you running? Just spinning your wheels, running around for no good reason. Stop and turn and run to Jesus. That's where you're going to find all of the things that you've been looking for. And listen to me, I promise you, he's going to run back at you. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family.